0: This episode is brought to you by Merrick Pet Care. And if you've heard me talk about Grammy, you know that she means the world to me. I wanted a dog for probably 10 years and I was living in an apartment, couldn't have dogs. When I finally moved somewhere else, I adopted her within weeks and it was love at first scritch. She's about two feet away from me as I record this. She hangs out in the studio and all I want to do is smooch her and look at her and stare at her. I also like feeding her because I see how happy it makes her. And there's nothing like watching her lick her chops after having yummy stuff like Grammy's Paw Pie or Real Texas Beef and Sweet Potato, which are two recipes she's been enjoying for America. As her parent, I like that they use deboned meat and fish or poultry is the number one ingredient. I also like that they have these real ingredients and you can see them on the bag, so you know what's in each one. And watching her do a little dance, especially with a Grammy's pot pie recipe, brings too much joy to my heart. Is there such a thing as too much joy? I'm not sure. But check out Merrick online or in your local pet store and look for their new packaging with real ingredients shown on the bag and inside it. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket portfolios is kinda like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big, juicy investment. Mmm, now that's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com slash baskets. Investing involves risks, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC.
1: Oh, hey, it's that feeling you get when you put on a jacket you haven't worn since last year and find a $10 pill in the pocket. Elation coupled with the anticipatory disappointment that it won't happen every time you put on a jacket. Helen Zaltzman of the Illusionist podcast about language and alum of the Ologies episode about etymology, which is the study of the origins of words, Ali and I recorded it together in February 2019, uh, and that came about thanks to the website formerly known as Twitter, because there did used to be this nice time on it when, for instance, podcasters could make friends with each other over there. I think in this case, someone asked Ali if she could invite me on an episode, which was an easy yes for me. So thank you most sincerely to that person because I got to be on this loveliest of podcasts and become offline friends with Ali. I hope you'd have to verify with her, of course. Also, as a result of me being on Ologies, some of you started listening to my show, The Illusionist. So thank you very much for that. And to Ali, of course. At the time we recorded, I was only seven months out from my own podcast-induced health crisis, which uh, we do talk about in this episode. I landed in hospital in Tasmania for three and a half weeks uh, because podcasting is a dangerous business. And then I went back to work almost immediately after. Uh, In retrospect, it took me hmm, three more years to get to a point where work didn't have me on the brink of a perpetual physical and mental collapse, but well worth the wait. (laughs) But hopefully it will take you less long, Ali. So as much as we all miss you, don't come back too soon. When you think you're ready, go on vacation followed by a second vacation. Then you can maybe consider coming back to work, but perhaps you could just lie on the couch gazing at clouds or learn to play the harp. Maybe you can already play the harp, I don't know. Uh, In which case, a bass clarinet uh, or macramé. Uh, Anyway, since we recorded, um, I started and completed a whole other podcast, Veronica Mars Investigations, recapping the entirety of the TV show, movie, canonical novels and reboot of Veronica Mars. And you can find that in the usual pod places and at vmipod.com. I also finished my very long running podcast, Answer Me This. There are 400 episodes of that lurking online, if you'd like. I toured the Illusionist live show I toured Australia twice more without ending up in hospital, as well as several other countries, then sat around during COVID uh, unsuccessfully growing tomatoes. Uh, What else? Um, In the last year, my dad died and I moved to Vancouver, Canada. And The Illusionist has carried on all the while. Uh, Recently, I've been making various bits of work about things being renamed, especially things that were named after bad guys, like Asperger's syndrome and Schrodinger's equation. There have been some episodes about death and fatness and complex PTSD and the Eurovision song contest and anxiety and the name Fiona, which if you're going to check out any of the episodes of the show, maybe you could start with the pair about the name Fiona. I don't want to spoil it. It's just special stuff. Anyway, let us return to the relatively innocent time of 2019 to talk about etymology
0: with our beloved Ali Ward. Oh, hey, it's the ghost of the succulent plant you somehow killed, just incredulously staring at you like, how? How? I'm a cactus. Allie Ward, back with another episode of Ologies. Okay, so don't galaxy brain too hard, but each word I'm saying has a history and a lifespan and a backstory and was probably born out of a grunt and then went through pubescence in another language, spelled with too many vowels. And if you sat down and listened to its biography, you'd likely love it even more. But before we get into backstories and etymologies, a few complex words of thanks thanks to everyone supporting on patreon this show and these audio files you've downloaded for free would not exist without the folks giving as little as a buck a month on patreon.com slash ologies thank you to everyone buying merch at ologiesmerch.com thanks to everyone who checks to make sure you're subscribed and for spending an actual nanosecond just rating the podcast and a minute or two or three leaving reviews for me to creepily enjoy when I'm feeling like a bucket of old oatmeal with a mouth, which happens. This week, Smacksmore She's Ma'am says, this podcast is fantastic for getting myself through boring car rides and long days at work. The host, my father, Allie Ward, is captivating and asks her guests all of the right questions. Now, for some reason, the host, my father, Allie Ward, had me actually cackling out loud when I read it. Also, DJ Liz13, I creeped your review about your late father and it got me teary and I'm sending you hugs. Okay. Etymology. Oh, I've wanted to cover this topic since the day I first laid eyes on a list of ologies back in 2002. So strong is my thirst. I include some etymology in every episode, you know that. But what's the etymology of etymology? This is like your mirror image staring at your real face or one hand washing the other. Okay, so etymology comes from the Greek etymos, meaning Truth. So this ologist studied English and language at St. Catherine's College at the University of Oxford, England, and went on to become a writer, co-host of the long-running comedy podcast, Answer Me This, and then began a linguistics and etymology podcast called The Illusionist in 2015. She's known as the etymological lodger, and I had so many people send drooly, feverish messages that I should interview her about word origins, and I said to myself and them, Sure, right. How about if I also interview Beyonce while I'm at it? I can't get her, but somehow I was able to get her attention via Twitter and convince her to come to my home, aka my apartment, and hang out on my couch for an hour and talk language. And to say I like her would be a gross understatement. I'm so into her. She's the best. So we talk about the fundamental truth that language is always, always changing, whether you want it to or not, and about, of course, various word origins, Latin, gender in languages, the Bible, aka the Oxford English Dictionary, slang, emojis, the pliability of boobs, mediocrity, step parents, babies in glasses, Greek, the romance languages, and more, with host of the Illusionist podcast and person who technically for a living researches the the origins of language, and thus is an etymologist, Helen Saltzman.
1: Do people put an extra L in there a lot? Uh, No, actually, that is not one of the regular spelling mistakes, but they... They see the Z's and they panic. Do you say Z is in Z or Zebra? Well, uh, I say I say Zed when I'm in Zed saying countries, but I'm on your turf, so oh. I've translated it. Look, yeah, look at that. Do you say Zebra? Uh, I do say Zebra. Is it Zebra here? Yeah. Ah, yeah. So okay. So here's my rubric for when I'm in the states. If it's a different word, like Zed Z or coriander cilantro i'll say the different word but it is harder for me to use the correct american pronunciation if it's the same word so it's hard for me to say tomato because it sounds uh, just wrong when i say it like i can't <laughs> i can't do it properly like my mouth won't form a proper american shape to do the word properly tomato tomato oh let's call the whole thing off Tomato. Tomato. Tomato sounds so much fancier. I don't know. I think it does. It's It's not not even an English word. Got it from South America.
0: Quick aside, the word tomato comes from the Nahuatl, a language of what's known historically as the Aztec Empire for the swelling fruit. And thus, a tomato is what people called a hot girl in the 1920s. Language experts think this is due to plump, juicy connotations. Now, as long as we're just starting this out on the horniest foot, another fun produce aisle conversation you can have loudly is that avocado comes from the Nahuatl for testicle.
1: Now, how long have you been interested in language? Uh, I remember first becoming interested in language when I was fairly small. I was, I think, seven. And I started, I went to very old-fashioned school, so I started learning French and Latin oh. at a very young age. And I was like, oh, that word seems similar to this word in English and it was a bit like when you see Homeland or something where someone's got a wall with lots of newspaper clippings joined (laughs) together with string you understand it's a timeline (laughs) yes (laughs) (laughs) so I was like ah I wonder if these have got things in common and um, and also I grew up in quite a verbose household so uh, I was the the youngest Um, I was an accident oopsie (laughs) So oh. there's quite a bit of uh, time between me and my elder brothers who are both very uh, witty and, and good at talking. And I just thought, God, if I'm going to say anything, then I really have to bring my A-game. <laughs> so, <laughs> it was just a form of survival to be verbally deft from a young age. Did you talk early? Uh, I I don't know because I don't think anyone was paying attention. <laughs> but apparently I was an early reader my mum says I was an early reader, but I remember her teaching me to read. So I think before that, I was just looking at books with the appearance of reading. You just had, uh, they're like, why is she wearing bifocals? She's two. <laughs> I did have glasses from one and a half. How did you know? Did you really? Yeah, not bifocals till I was 14. I mean, uh, oh. yeah. <laughs> and you started losing yeah. the nearsighted. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it was, it was. <laughs> there are not many pictures of my childhood really yeah i had these sort of like pink plastic thick glasses and then sometimes they would put a band-aid over one lens to strengthen the other eye really well they used to put it over my eye but then ripping it off is quite painful oh that's a good time
0: babies and glasses are the cutest babies
1: sort of I think glasses styles have improved no they're always babies and glasses are always cute is it like babies that look like angry little old men, like who look like old codgers? Babies? Yes, exactly. So that's, that's a good fun. <laughs> They're a kinder codger. <laughs> yeah, or like a baby wearing a, a tiny bow tie.
0: Yes, I guess like an old man in a in like a diaper with a pacifier isn't as cute, but <laughs> when you reverse it, it's good. You know,
1: so unfair. Oh, so mm. now,
0: when did you start making language your living? When did you start writing professionally? When did you start getting into etymology as a career?
1: Well, I studied some uh, at university. I I did an English degree, but I did this special course that only 15 people did in the whole university, and it was all, it stopped at 1400.
0: Again, she took an English language course that stopped at the year 1400. Uh, Just imagine the vellum, the ancient diphthongs, the deteriorated
1: antiquities. Why did it stop at 1400? You're never going to find anything original to say about Shakespeare and there's much less to read, which frees up more time for doing extracurriculars. <laughs> um, but also there was a lot of emphasis on old and middle English, which I always found very interesting. And um there was a certain clarity in the literature. They got to the point, they're you know, like, it's a religious allegory, it's a body limerick, and we're gonna die at 35. So you just uh, <laughs> stick to the point. Uh, it's oversimplifying, and yet there's a little kind of the truth there. Um, so I was very interested in at university, and then um, just afterwards, a dream etymology job came up at the Oxford English Dictionary. Oh my God. And um, so I applied for it and I only got to the second round. I didn't get very far in because um, now I know what's involved in being a dictionary etymologist. I realized that I would have been extremely ill suited because that is a job that requires a lot of precision um, a lot of dispassion. Like you, you, you're supposed to write dictionary entries with very little character in. They're supposed to be kind of authoritative, but not uh, jaunty, not funny. Yeah. And um, you, you have to be so methodical, and I'm um, not methodical at all. So not a lot of room for pizzazz. Uh, th- no, it's, uh, except for the entry for pizzazz, if they have enough <laughs> written citations for pizzazz. <laughs> pizzazz, of course, meaning
0: style or flair, vitality. Now, this word emerged in the 1930s. Etymologists think from showbiz slang, but for me, Pizzazz will forever be tied to the Mexican pizza at Taco Bell, which was first introduced decades ago as, yes, a Pizzazz pizza.
1: Get struck by the never before taste of Pizzazz pizza.
0: I will always remember my mom having to hang her head out the car window and scream into the order box. A Pizzazz, a Pizzazz pizza? When they changed the name to Mexican pizza, I I something inside me died. I've I've been sad about it for decades. I mourned. Okay, also, Helen studied English at Oxford, so word origins, language, etc. And then she said she didn't really do anything with that for about another 12 years when she started The Allusionist. But on Answer Me This, they got a lot of word origin questions throughout the year, so she was always kind of flexing that proverbial muscle all along. Did you know when you were studying When you were getting your degree that you wanted to go into historical language,
1: did you know that etymology maybe was something you wanted to do? It just didn't seem like a plausible thing to do. But also, I'm very bad at thinking ahead, so I wasn't really thinking much beyond it. When I was little, I was like, I just want to get to university, because it felt like freedom. And then when I was there, I was just very much enjoying being there, because it was like freedom. (laughs) And I was like, you just deal with the job stuff afterwards. And then that took a decade.
0: So an etymologist may be a linguist, a dictionary writer, a podcaster about language, and also even a murderer, as detailed in Simon Winchester's book, The Professor and the Madman, which is about the compilation of the Oxford English Dictionary that began in 1857. And it was led by a professor by the name of James Murray. And the overseeing committee was like, man, one person, Dr. W.C. Minor, has submitted over 10,000 entries and etymologies. We should send him like a muffin basket. Or a thank you. What a badass. And then they found out Dr. Miner was a civil war doctor who became an inmate in an asylum for the criminally insane. And then they were like, mm, still going to use these definitions though. That's cool.
1: So one of the, um, the very important compilers of the Oxford English Dictionary was a guy who was in prison for murder. Uh, but he had a lot of time to sort through written citations of words because they still have to go off written citations of things to prove that the word existed and the time that it existed and that it's, it means the things that you think it means and they can demonstrate that. They just have to be able to demonstrate everything with written citations. So they collect loads and loads of written examples for words. And also they have to prove that it's important enough and in sustained usage for, for long enough. So it's not like you could provide 100 written citations for a word you've just made up mm-hmm. and it would immediately catch on.
0: That is so fetch.
1: But if you could get it to catch on and enough other people to use it, could get it in the dictionary alley. <gasps> Little project. Okay, so
0: some of the OED's added words this year, by the by, were TGIF, burkini, and haterade. Some interesting choices. Do you keep up
1: with the OED each year with the new words added? No, because I think that's usually a press release bit of mm. game. Don't you? Because they j- they just want to annoy people. With that's that a good point. Often, They're usually the most annoying words. Yes, exactly. Yeah, they know they're trolling people. Oh,
0: God, that's so sinister and wonderful.
1: Yeah. I, I like uh, the relish with which a lot of the dictionaries have taken to the social media age. A lot right. of them have very salty Twitter accounts. Oh, God, yes. And uh, you learn some good words. But also the print edition of dictionaries... There's a limit to the number of words they can put in there, so some have to go. Um, it's difficult for words to enter, but there's a lot of room on the internet, so they can they can track those words. And something that may only be briefly useful, like on fleek, mm-hmm. that can enter the dictionary quickly, but it doesn't necessarily have to stay there if it was just uh, you know a few years of on fleekness. On fleek sounds so much better coming with a British accent. <laughs> oh, I only ever say it in quotation marks. Right. I was on fleek. I've never managed to say it in a in an actually descriptive way. I don't think anyone other than the original Vine poster. Yeah. Abras fleek. Peaches really Monroe. Is that what her name Yeah. Good job. Thank How do you, you. know that? Um, uh, <laughs> well, I have first studied the etymology of on fleek.
0: <laughs> That's why you're the
1: best. Oh, gosh. But yeah, I, 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 I'm too old. I'm too old to say it without the quotation marks.
0: Yeah, we all are. Now, <laughs> at what point did you get the idea for the illusionist how did that develop
1: right well um around 2014 i i just had the idea of doing a show that was called word detective and i was like what does that mean <laughs> uh so i worked back a bit and then um uh, my friend roman Mars, who makes 99 invisible had just founded radiotopia and i knew that he was interested in getting me to do some stuff and um he came to stay with me in london Uh, in the summer of 2014 and um, so while he was jet lagged and vulnerable (laughs) i I was walking him around the park and i said i've had an idea for a show it's a bit like your show but for language instead of architecture and design and he was like okay
0: so they dug around for the financing because she wouldn't have been able to do answer me this plus the illusionist plus handle extra time of a day job and as someone who hasn't mailed her christmas presents yet in march i get this
1: uh like podcasting for the first many years was financially rather painful oh uh, sure pursuit. Uh, <laughs> um yeah so uh that was how it started he was like okay uh we can we can make this financially viable and um also it was just a slightly quieter time in podcasting then yeah it is a it is Quite a din of different shows. Yes, certainly very noisy. (laughs) (laughs) Such innocence we were then. Now there are 10 times the number of podcasts.
0: And now you must have had a bit of a field day when you were first coming up with words that you
1: wanted to explore. I mean, how did you decide which words get in? Um, Well, there's a long Google Doc with potential ideas that I've had since before the show began and I have done not that many of those ideas because a lot of it is just what can I actually get done like how can I think to pursue this who can I talk with about it who will agree to be on the show or knows about it what's an angle that is not just going to be really dry so a lot of it is what am I curious about and what don't I know about because if I feel like I know where something's going to go I'm not very interested in making an episode about it or if it's very familiar. But if, yeah, it's patching up my own ignorance. And I'm a team of one, (laughs) so actually, although it was pitched as an etymology show, it hasn't really been a lot about that because what it turns out I'm far more interested in is, is human behavior and how things are applicable now, like what's resonant to people now.
0: So rather than being a historian, Helen prefers to look into the current usage of words and terms and how they kind of roll around our brains and out of
1: our face. And then it's finding bits of information to give to people. And so, yeah, it's gone in a very different direction to what I thought. But sometimes it's, it's like, um, I'll have insomnia. I remember I had insomnia. And often what I do is like, I wonder whether this word comes from where I think it does. And then if it didn't, I think, oh, that's worth making a note of that. It's surprising. So I remember in the first few months of the illusionist, I thought, I wonder, I'll just check in the night whether, <laughs> whether step as in, um, step parent, just means you're a step away from the biological lineage and it doesn't. It means grief. And <gasps> I thought, ah, oh. and if I didn't know that, then a lot of listeners are not going to know that. And, um, uh, so, uh, I firstly was trying to get someone to speak who was from a museum of, of orphans and, um, abandoned children in London. So I thought they would be interesting on like the history of, of the family in that respect. And they would not speak to me. <laughs> really? Uh, yeah. And then I thought, I'll do it differently because you have a lot of wicked stepmothers in folklore and Aaron Mankey from the podcast Law. We were kind of internet friends and I was like, would you be interested? And um, it was just before his show was like really too big for him to be um, way too busy to do this. And um, he, he came with like a lot of fascinating research about how, you know, you didn't really have a step-parent unless someone had died because divorce was uncommon and therefore step-parents got a pretty bad rap. And... I also got people, I just put a Facebook post up saying if you've got feelings about step in your own family existence, just record yourself talking about them. I've got a somewhat complicated family and have several step parents, although I never really call them that. I've always just known them as their first name. It can be a bit jarring to explain how you related to this person you refused to call your dad. And that was very compelling. Cause a lot of people said, you know, what? I'd never consciously thought about it. And now I have. I think I hate it. Really? Yeah. So it's just a very interesting montage to me of how people dealt with this word as, as children or as step parents or step siblings or the different words that they use. Like, I think in Sweden, bonus is the term, which I felt was much more positive. That is
0: more positive. Yeah. It's
1: my bonus dad. Right. Right. Yeah. You what don't. It's wickedness.
0: Yeah. You don't, you don't think of someone who's um, getting angry at your t ball games. <laughs> and secretly hates you, you know? Yeah, right,
1: yeah. Who's, who's just trying to take all of your parents' money and then leave, <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. kill them and leave. Like yeah. when,
0: you, when you look at a house and there's a bonus room and you're like, so much possibility. Right. More than expected. Yes, because it's a bonus. It's a bonus. Yeah. So side note, the word bonus comes from the Latin for bone, for a good thing. The word bonus comes from the Latin for bon, a good thing. So somewhere there is a sweet, nice stepdad driving carpool, or a stepmom working her ass off to put together a cool birthday party and y'all it's okay to shed a tear about this bonus folks you're good and now is there something about the elasticity of language i feel like that's kind of what we all love about etymology but is that rooted is your interest rooted in human behavior and how we keep morphing
1: things yes uh my interest is very much in human behavior and i think that's what partly got me interested in etymology in the first place was just a lot of it is a little idiosyncratic and you can see these signs of of how people would have behaved several hundred years ago so there's a lot of mistakes in how words have evolved it's not necessarily logical and i think that was appealing that it's not these straight paths another thing i learned about doing the show was that i'm not a language prescriptivist i was such a pedant when i was a child <laughs> it was just a nightmare particularly to my mom <laughs> And now that, but it's unsustainable. When you, when you know anything about how language behaves, you can't keep it up because there's just so many things contradicting it. And there's a lot of cognitive dissonance if you want to keep up your pedantry. But also after a while, I was like, you're carrying around a lot of pointless anger. Um, just, <laughs> it's just not necessary. Um, so that was a, a positive surprise, I think. It was just being amenable to how language is going to change and has always changed, particularly the English language. That has that has evolved in much more rapidly than a lot of other languages that are deliberately kept the same. But if you know about English, you're like, okay, this is what happens. People use it the ways that they need it to be used. So if there is a gap, then people will fill it with either a word that they've decided to use in a different way, or they will invent one. Gretchen, stop trying to make fetch happen. And... You know, a lot of it is driven by that kind of necessity. You can't control it. And even if it doesn't necessarily make sense, it's never made sense. And so you might not like it, but you have to understand that this is a linguistic process.
0: Now, what is it about English that has made it evolve so rapidly? And also, where, having studied Latin, where do you see we grab the roots from? Latin, from
1: Greek? Oh, yeah. English is such a mutt of a language, which is why it's so fascinating. It's a problem as well. Um, which uh, is more to do with its later history. So uh, English kind of came about um, originally from a bunch of invasions. So there were native languages in the British Isles, but then um, there was the Roman invasion, which I think was 50 BC to about 400 AD. And then Germanic forces invaded around 500 AD. And then Vikings... And then 1066, the the Normans. So you get a lot of French influence, but also a lot of Latin through French. And so at that point, you had like the language of governance being Latin, and the, but then the language of posh people being French, but then oh. like kind of normal people still speaking Anglo-Saxon, which like quite a Germanic version of Anglo-Saxon. And then that kind of coalesces into Middle English that then becomes model, modern English. So I think about 70% of English words have some Latin roots but a lot of those Latin roots would have come from Greek or they didn't come directly from the Romans and then you've got uh what I call euphemistically Britain's enthusiastic foreign policy <laughs> so it was not only people coming in and invading the country it's also us going to other parts of the world a lot of other parts of the world and uh, sticking our dicks in them and, <laughs> pretty uh, much yeah and um so Englishes happened in lots of different places, but also we found words in those places and brought them back. Or, you know, we brought back things we found like potatoes and thus the word with them. Um, ah. So that happens a ton. So you've got like this very idiosyncratic thing. Whereas French, you've got an academy keeping French the same. So they decide on whether you're allowed gender neutral pronouns or whatever. They don't like this.
0: Mm-hmm. It's a very
1: gendered language um whereas english doesn't have that kind of control and has resisted that kind of control they've they've just they've tried and it hasn't really taken off
0: by the way if you hear something that sounds like vacuuming it's because there's someone outside my door vacuuming i run a very professional podcast studio here
1: it's just vacuuming people have heard it before heard it before um so
0: why did latin steal from greek so much
1: um, that is a really good question. Um, I think because you had a lot of Greek power before you had ancient Roman Empire power. And also there is a lot of cultural crossover. So just a lot of our, there's basically like three parents for most languages. And so mm-hmm. again, it's just going back to the root word and then it being in different locations evolved into slightly different versions of the words. Mm-hmm. And
0: when it comes to finding the root word of something what's been one of the more surprising entries or Mm. or what what are some of your favorite etymologies
1: because there's a story behind every all of them yes although frustrating often the story is like we don't know yeah (laughs) Yeah. the 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 pathway doesn't go very far particularly with slangs because they don't have the written citations so they can't prove where a slang came from because it's usually in people's mouths way before it's written down i really like the etymology of the word mediocre and i don't know why it is but it Means halfway up a jagged hill. Really? Yeah. <gasps> what an oh evocative my thing. God, I never knew that one. And is it, does that, because I would have thought to get halfway up a jagged hill, you have to be really quite good. Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't seem like an easy path or just, like the absence of any particular quality. It seems like a hard a hard climb. Yeah, how many jagged hills were these
0: people climbing?
1: I don't know. It must be
0: quite a lot. Didn't if you can only get halfway up was a burn. <laughs> yeah. Maybe
1: <Yeah. laughs> yeah. like, well, we just scampered right to the top before breakfast. Um yeah, so I find that very fascinating and I don't understand um why it is. Seems like quite the story. Yeah, I didn't know that. Another fun recent etymology discovery of mine, not of anyone, other people already knew about it is the word explode which meant to drive someone off stage using applause so if the audience didn't like an act they would clap to drive them off the stage i know it doesn't seem that intuitive from the etymology but some clapping can really hurt intent is everything
0: It's in the law have you ever heard the etymology for buxom no that oh, sounds fun such a good one this is one of my favorite etymologies um it can comes from pliable mm-hmm. and then compliant and then
1: friendly and then beautiful and then sexy and then boobs wow so yeah. it wasn't that the boobs were pliable no <laughs> that the person was pliable mm-hmm. and that's a sexy trait to some
0: evidently yeah wow so it, which is one of those weird twists and turns that you're just thinking about it having to morph at every stage of the way yeah Googling buxom woman will not, side note, get you any returns of pliable branches. Now, speaking of searches, where does Helen go to first uncover a word's history? She says Entom Online and Dictionary.com are her preferred sources, as she's constantly traveling with her husband, and she can't haul around a shelf full of dusty reference books. Come on. And you're kind of wandering about, which is what a life, you and your husband. Ridiculous scientists physicists yeah you guys are i would say that you're traipsing about Tra- yeah traipsing. yeah and gadding so, about so you bop around yeah we bop around to different countries and so you're a wandering etymologist <laughs> that's so romantic wandering audio tainer. if you would have thought as a college student hmm. that you would get to travel the world while doing etymology i know
1: right bananas and getting paid Living the dream. Living the absolute dream. I couldn't even allow myself to have that dream because I thought you don't want to be disappointed.
0: Well, and podcasts didn't exist. No, they did not. (laughs) When it comes to like a goal with etymology, do you feel like with language, you can use your platform to
1: have people see each other differently? Do you ever feel like you can fix some ills of the world with language? Yeah, when I'm feeling evangelical. um, I think, so it is an entertainment show, first and foremost, and Mm -hmm. it's supposed to distract people on a commute or when they can't sleep or when they're feeling anxious or whatever. But then it's just when you get into language and you're thinking about all the different ways it can be used, I think a lot of it is about empathy because the more sensitive you become to all that, you become more aware of your own usage and how other people might interpret it and the various things they might mean with their usage. So it forces you to think about other people more on their communication and the endless variety thereof. And also just if you, if you get into your hangups, you can often realize that a lot of them are about snobbery or a, a way of controlling people almost by telling them that they're saying something in a way you disagree with. Mm-hmm. And so re- removing yourself from that or encouraging other people just to, just to not focus on that Um, I think that is quite important because it's just more compassionate.
0: And the etymology of compassionate, it's late Latin for calm plus patty, so to suffer together. And yes, the root of passion is to suffer, but compassion is to feel the pain of others, which is terribly moving.
1: So I'd say that is the the more serious thing. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned uh, a live show you did recently was about... uh, gender pronouns and preferred usage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been doing a lot of work about gender in language. Um, that's it's all uh, festering into into something. I'm not quite sure what form it will uh, emerge in yet. I toured that show throughout 2019, and now you can hear it on the Illusionist pod feed. Uh, look for the episode called No Title, and also go to theillusionist.org slash no title for a few additional visuals as well. So it's about things like titles, like... Mr and Mrs and Ms and yeah and gender pronouns and just how to me having gender in the English language doesn't really make much sense I don't think it's necessary and some languages have far less gender in like there are a lot of languages that have no gender pronouns at all Um, languages where they don't use titles and I'm curious to know whether the absence of those things has any effect on the way that people communicate with each other or relate to each other. And it's certainly not the case that languages that have no gender pronouns don't have gender imbalance. But I'm just thinking, why don't we default to gender neutrality and then people can always opt in to a gendered pronoun if they want. Mm-hmm. But I feel like it would save a lot of bother if it was just default, yeah. they. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Why do you think that there's resistance to that that's a really good question. I think some people fear change and change can consciously or unconsciously to people just be almost insulting because it's like you're wrong rather than just you do a thing and it's not necessarily wrong, but it's not necessarily the permanent way. Uh, and I think also some people are just not comfortable with the idea of a different kind of society um, and I think I mean I see this even in myself like when you've when you've been raised in this sort of very binary gender way and there's certain certain gender limits and so on, I felt like I kind of molded a lot of myself to working around the constraints of that, just to kind of optimize the way that I could exist in this thing I didn't really agree with and make it as irrelevant to myself as possible but i I couldn't possibly escape it. But then if that crumbles, who am I? There are some people who've adjusted themselves a lot more to living in the patriarchy or whatever and take advantage of that, mm. uh, male and female. And then if it's taken away, some people are like, yes, like I feel so freed. And other people are like, yeah, who am I and what am I supposed to do and how am I supposed to benefit? Like they don't know what the benefit is to them of a fairer society because it's not, they might think it's not. So I think that is scary to people. And some people want neat categorization of everything but I have a lot of arguments (laughs) as to as to why you know it's it's very easy to give people the right pronoun it doesn't really affect it doesn't really affect you but also you was originally a plural pronoun that we also use in the singular oh yeah and people have adjusted to that because they've had a few hundred years to deal with it What was it before? Oh, so uh, you was the plural form and thou was the singular form and the informal form. And you would use you to be polite. And then people were so polite, you just became the dominant form.
0: Really? Yeah. I didn't know that.
1: And people can handle that. Mm -hmm. So they, I mean, it's not such a leap. Mm -hmm. People use they as a kind of general pronoun anyway, like when they're not sure who they're referring to. So if I said oh my I'm going to stay with my cousin you might say oh where do they live yeah without it being a political thing but as soon as you introduce the politics to it some people are their fuse is lit
0: Mm -hmm. I wonder if part of it is just a resentment that a newer maybe generation gets a benefit of something that we didn't you know yes I I think about what my life would have been like if i weren't gendered so much and yes. i wonder if anyone just is pissed that they're like you get that i didn't get that
1: right you yes. know yes i definitely think there's there's some part of that which is the worst reason to withhold something
0: from yeah. someone <laughs> the absolute worst most petty yeah. bitchy <laughs>
1: yeah i'm very interested in how language is used uh, to manipulate in a positive and negative ways it can be used for that a lot and uh, so i was reading this like 80s classic of business schools kind of manual which was about the language of persuasion and it was talking about just how it's much easier to double down on something that seems like a bad decision than to admit that it was bad Uh. and do something different.
0: Oh my God. And now you
1: start seeing that in just all sorts of things.
0: That was in an instructional book. Yeah. Oh, that's horrifying. I that know. explains
1: a lot of our apologies. I know. Now. <laughs> it really does, doesn't it? You start seeing it everywhere.
0: I keep wanting to do an episode just called Apologies with someone who
1: is a good <laughs> mediator who can just explain the best way to apologize. <laughs> yeah, that could just be a whole uh, mini series <laughs> in itself. Oh. There's so much to apologize uh, for. I have actually. Uh, since we recorded, done an episode interviewing some apologyologists. Dissecting apologies is so interesting and so useful because it makes you realise how many apologies, particularly public apologies, are actually not apologising at all. Uh, you can hear that episode at theillusionist.org slash sorry. Can we do some Patreon questions? Oh, yeah. Okay. This is...
0: Rapid fire. It's great. It's lightning round. We'll get to as many as we can. <laughs> so before listener questions from Patreon, there may be some info on some items and services that I use and like and who support the show. Also each week a portion of the proceeds from ads goes to a charity of the ologist's choosing. And this week, Helen chose pops the club.com. And their mission is to transform the lives of teens who have loved ones in prison or in jail. POPs stands for Pain of the Prison System. And they establish these high school clubs for these kids to gather. They can be empowered through creative expression, writing, poetry, emotional support. And they also publish a book full of the students' creative work, writing, and poetry. So it's popstheclub.com is who Helen picked. What do you get for the mom who burst you into the world? I know, a candle. Are you like, no, that's not quite enough. How about memories that she'll love looking at every day? Or frames? I love them. So they're a digital photo frame. They were named the best digital photo frame by Wirecutter and by me. And Aura frames are Wi-Fi connected. You can add unlimited photos and videos, and you can invite as many people as you want to the frame. There are absolutely no hidden fees. There's no subscriptions. You can also react with cute emojis if you'd like, and you can show you love a photo. You can send congratulations or more. It's so wonderful that A, it's not a candle. And also it's not sharing your photos on social media to look at. It's just there. You can share it with the people who you love. I have mentioned this so many times, but my parents have an aura that I got them. My dad loved that. I have gotten aura frames for friends, for family members, for family members of friends. So I'm a really big fan of them. I love what they do. And right now, aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. So that's A-U-R-A frames.com. Use the code Ologies at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. I love these things. With Capella University's FlexPath Learning Format, you can earn your degree online at your own pace and get support from people who care about your success. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. I know I usually save my secrets for the end of the episode, but I'm going to tell you my secret favorite candy. It's Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. It's really Reese's anything, but Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the thing that I'm like, have I had a bad day? I get these. Have I had a good day? I get these. Chocolate, salty peanut butter, The textures, I love everything about them. Also that there's two, so I'm like, oh, I get this one for later, which is one second later. Anyway, Reese's Peanut Butter Cups, I love you. That's all. If you're me, you can shop Reese's Peanut Butter Cups now at a store near you, found wherever candy is sold. And I am. Oh, hi, it's me, the lady that checks a bunch of scholarly articles before she believes anything. Allie Ward. And I feel like we are similar in that we have a fair amount of skepticism and we like to dive deep and find out what the actual facts are. This is why when it comes to any kind of supplements, I enjoy Ritual, which is a female-founded B Corp, meaning that they're holding themselves accountable to not just the company, but also to the health of people in our planet. And they're clinically backed, essential for women at 18 plus multivitamin has these high quality, traceable key ingredients in bioavailable forms that are clean. Only about 1% of supplement brands are USP verified and Ritual is one of them. So I like being able to trust what I'm putting in my body. From an aesthetic standpoint, I'll also tell you that Ritual are beautiful little vitamins. They look like lava lamps and they taste like mint. So taking my Ritual is part of my, I guess, morning ritual. I, that's probably why they named it that and I didn't even think about it. Anyway, no more shady business. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. So get 25% off your first month at ritual.com slash ologies. You can start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash ologies for 25% off. Down the hatch. Okay, Patreon questions. And I'm going to go in order received. Mm-hmm. So I didn't categorize these. It's very fair. It's very fair. Adrienne mm-hmm. Van Halem asks, what's the origin of the phrase red herring?
1: Oh, crap. I did know this from Answer Me This, um, but I can't remember. Okay, <laughs> I'll answer <laughs> it. In your side.
0: Okay, I looked this up, and supposedly it's from smoked herrings turning red when they're cured, and fugitives leaving trails of them to fool and confuse bloodhounds. So a red herring... Is like a gross trail of fish that a dog thinks is you. This episode started off so horny. I don't know what happened. Christina Choi says, "Do you have a favorite word in history of? Other oh, than mediocre,
1: yeah, mediocre was good. Any Just seconds? I'm trying to think. I mean." There are lots, but now my mind's gone blank. Never heard of a word history before. Oh. Yeah, no. I mean, that's, <laughs> never that's heard what of happens one. when you get like a direct question. Like, <laughs> what's my favorite film? I've never seen a film. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Ever.
1: What is one? Yeah. What was the last word that you learned? Do you remember? Oh. There There are words that I have to look up every time, like lacuna. I just cannot oh. remember what lacuna means.
0: It's a great, great word. You know how I learned that word? Did you ever see Eternal Sunshine? I did. And that was how I learned of the word, but I still haven't. The best. A lacuna, are you ready for this? It's a bookbinding term, meaning a chunk of the glued pages that have detached from the spine and are missing. And in Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, which was written by the genius Charlie Kaufman, the company that can wipe away specific memories is called Lacuna Incorporated.
1: But why remember a destructive love affair? Here at Lacuna, we have perfected a safe, effective technique for the focused erasure of troubling memories. Just can't... It just won't fix in my mind. Well, there's a blank spot where Lacuna should be. Yeah. There's a Lacuna... Ah! ...where there's a Lacuna. That's how to remember it. Thank you. Boom. You really guided me through that. Erica Smith
0: asks, Do you have a favorite website to research the etymology of words or phrases? Etymonline. online. Strongly recommend. Awesome. Bob White... Hi, Bob! ...just says... This is an imperative, not even an inquisitive. Explain
1: Q, Q-U-E-U-E. <laughs> well, it's uh, where you stand in line with people. <laughs> uh, in in French, we got the word from French. In French, Q uh, is pronounced Q and means tail. So <gasps> that's very cute, isn't it? Like a dog's, a dog's little Q. Oh,
0: that's adorable.
1: Yeah. I do
0: love that having context for all these words, it's like seeing someone's face and being like, okay, and then getting to know them as a person. Do you know? Yeah. Oh, I love it. Katie Cobb, why is the F word so versatile?
1: It's a great word, isn't it? A lot Mm -hmm. of the swears are very flexible, but particularly that one, because it can be noun, verb. um, Yes. Affectionate, um, sexual insult. Yeah, it's very handy. Yeah. What is the fucking etymology of that word? Oh, it, that is a hard one to know because, uh, because it's old, but also because it's kind of slangy. So when people make up an acronym for it, it's definitely not, it's definitely not an acronym. It's like hundreds of years older than that. Um, but a lot of the etymologies of swears are just a bit unsatisfactory because they don't really know. But, um, it wasn't such a rude word as it is now like the c-bomb wasn't such a rude Mm -hmm. word as it is now like religious swears were more rude in like 14th century when these swears was around were around and body parts and sexual ones uh not so much as the religious ones um but yeah i i think when people are down on swearing you just think well what word can you use in as as many varied ways (laughs) as the f-bomb
0: it is the Swiss army knife.
1: I'm cussing. <laughs> There's nothing it can't do. That is a, a wonderful way to describe it.
0: I still can't say the C word. That's not a word that comes... Oh.
1: I mean, I think that's more of a British word, but... Yeah, I didn't realize... That's been very educational to me, making this show about language. Just, I knew that there were differences in American vocabularies versus English, but I was less aware of the nuances of usage because I hadn't spent as much time in the States. And there are certain things you don't realize until they're pointed out. And, um... Yes. So I'm, um, I think the fourth episode, The Illusionist, was about the, the C-bomb. And, um, in Britain, like, it is a strong swear. It's, it's one of the strongest, but you still get people who kind of, it's, it can be an affectionate one. <laughs> like, ah, you old seabomb. Uh, you know, in context, you wouldn't say that to someone you weren't very confident yes. would understand the intent.
0: Of course. Yeah. This almost dovetails, but, um, <laughs> Danielle
1: Riviera asks, what is your biggest word related pet peeve? Oh, I have a lot, but I, I'm, I'm always trying to confront my prejudices and some of them I think will never leave, but I I can just not give them more room. And then others have really dissipated over the years. But at the moment, I am really keeping an eye on the word community. And I think that people using it should think, is there another word I can use? Because I think it's being used thoughtlessly. And so when people say the black community or the gay community, that sounds like it's 40 people that meet in a village hall (laughs) and they all have the same viewpoint and I can understand why something might be quite specific so you might have the gay community in a particular city but when you're talking about millions of people it's too small a word for that and I heard someone say the female community and I was like that is half the world that is not appropriate so if you're using community I think there are different nouns you could use or different ways to reframe like the the adjective that you're using, like science community, you could say scientists. So part of it to me is an efficiency thing, but partly also there's a kind of condescension in it sometimes. And uh, I'm always thinking, why is that there? Mm-hmm. And What's it kind of covering over? Well, four and a half years on, I, I still feel the same, but I do accept that this is what the word means now. So you won people, you won. What would be a better word in the context of the black or the gay community? i
0: agree with you completely
1: yeah often it's people people yeah (laughs) boom yeah done yeah Um, people gay people you know but then it's like what are you trying to say with such a big generalization should you break that down a bit more Mm -hmm. so it
0: indicative of perhaps what you're saying doesn't reflect the thoughts of everyone right
1: just be careful of the generalizations yeah
0: god that's a great note um danielle rivera also wants to know how many people assume that you study insects or that you have a podcast about Oh, bugs. yeah,
1: quite a lot. And uh, confusingly, right behind uh, your head are some beautiful uh, insects. I have a big, gross dead bug collection on one wall of my apartment. And
0: I'm just realizing how creepy that must be for visitors. But Helen is very wonderful. And she's compassionate. But yes, etymology and entomology.
1: But With- I can understand why people would mix them up. Because they're not exactly words you need in your everyday vocabulary. No. And um yeah, I wouldn't necessarily remember if I didn't particularly care about either. Oh sure, yeah. They're not so, they don't they don't roll off the tongue yeah. often. So when people get it wrong, I think well at least they tried. Yeah, they tried. They're so close. They they, they 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 busted out a tricky word. So so close. That'd be like if someone bought you a shoe and it was a
0: seven and a half and not an eight. Oh.
1: You'd be like, look at how close it is. Yeah. But if I had a dollar for every time someone has told me the following joke People who can't tell entomology from etymology bug me in ways I can't put into words. Well, I wouldn't be talking to you right now because I would have had enough money to buy a hot air balloon made of solid gold, which was so heavy it didn't take off and in fact plunged to the ground, crushing me beneath it, which is actually an upside to me not having received payments for tolerating the joke. People who can't tell entomology from etymology bug me in ways I can't put into words. But yes, if you're wondering, I have heard the joke. Yeah, yeah, I've heard the joke.
0: Ivy Crutchfield wants to know, can you ask for the origin of coccyx?
1: Wow, that's a really interesting one. I could look it up. Sure. I I don't keep all the words in my brain. A coccyx, side note, is a tailbone. So technically,
0: there were two present while recording this. Also present, next to us on the coffee table, is a hulking five-pound dictionary of etymology that I've had for 20 years. It's one of the first things I'd rescue should all of my belongings become threatened by fire. that's not true. I'd probably run out of the house without pants and then just order a new book online with the insurance money. But anyway, we looked it up for you, Ivy.
1: Oh, this is good, actually. It's from the Greek word cuckoo. (gasps) Supposedly called by the ancient Greek physician Galen, who was very influential in the history of medicine, because the bone in humans supposedly resembles a cuckoo's beak. Wow. Your butt bone's a bird beak. (laughs) Well, isn't that nice and alliterative... There you go. I'm so
0: glad they asked. Thanks, Ivy. Lovely question. Uh, Mads Clement wants to know, um, what's the best way to take down linguistic prescriptivists? Every time someone's like, that's a made up word, I want to do murder.
1: Yeah, well, all the words are made up, ultimately. There you go. Yeah. Language evolves and you can't stop it. But you can be swept away by the tide if you just stand there, not moving.
0: I like that idea. Once again,
1: language evolves and you can't stop it. But you can be swept away by the tide if you just stand there, not moving.
0: Katie Spino wants to know, can you do the thing that the dad in my big fat Greek wedding did and trace any word back to Greece? Give me a word. Any word, and I'll show you how the root of that word is Greek.
1: Okay? No. No.
0: Can't happen. Okay, Mr. Portokalas, how about the word kimono? Uh Aha. Kimono.
1: Kimono, kimono, kimono. The etymology of kimono is Japanese. The ki means wear. The mono means thing. So kimono is a thing you wear. M. Maurer wants to know, what is your
0: opinion on starting essays with? Webster's Dictionary Eh. defines excess.
1: (laughs) That is desperate. Yeah, (laughs) don't do it. Um, And also don't start anything with, it is a truth universally acknowledged in a private and Prejudice riff. Because I see a lot of journalists starting articles with that and I'm like, you're out of ideas what happens in the next paragraph if you're trying to do that beginning Mm -hmm. what happens next and then you could work back to opening with something more relevant so that's tired played out done it's it's rather tired and played out but also it's what, what is it you're trying to say by citing that it feels like, you know, that's, that's your training wheels and you're not ready to take them off your bike.
0: <laughs> Anna Thompson oh, mentioned the unnecessary use and someone else answered that about, um, back in the day when you took out an ad and a paper, they charged by the letter of the neighbors. And Oh,
1: unfortunately that is made up, but it's a really wonderful story that I appreciate. It oh. is just that American English is somewhat more streamlined than British English, which I appreciate. So British English might have the use because it's like, oh, a lot of those words came from French. And in American English, you're like, why do we need it? Because you can't hear it. It doesn't add anything. Get rid of it. Or like theater, you know, ER, rather than we have it still RE. And it doesn't make sense that we still have that. But I think we're in England still attached to the past and have resisted attempts to make the language more logical. Whereas in the States, you're less fettered by that history. I didn't know that. Yeah. I totally bought the thing that it was... It's a great story. A lot of the really attractive stories, unfortunately, are false because it's easier to make up a great story than to actually have one in life.
0: Well, then you've just debunked some flim-flam. Oh, shit. I have loved that. Puncturing dreams, that's me. No, I loved it. Ray Cash wants to know, did all language evolve from an origin language?
1: Uh, There's like three origin languages, but then I think it's not even that straightforward because there are some where they don't really act like any other languages, like Basque in northern Spain not like Spanish, but it's also not really like anything. Hm, it's exciting. In Finnish, that's very unusual.
0: Oh, I've yeah. heard about that. talk.
1: Yeah, dad from my big fat Greek wedding. Good luck tracing Finnish words back to Greek. So they think three origin languages, yeah. perhaps?
0: Yeah. Okay. Yes. I was surprised by what are romance languages. I thought I knew
1: them. And then... Is English not a romance language? It's sort of. Romance languages is broadly languages that were heavily influenced by Latin. Mm -hmm. So, like, Spanish, Italian, French, English, 60-ish percent. Yeah, I
0: didn't know that. I thought totally that it was. Carrie Stoddard wants to know, are there any synonyms for the most hated word, moist?
1: (laughs) Moist. Do you hate the word moist? I'm... At this point,
0: it's an underdog. Right. You know what I mean? Like, can moist live... Can it can it just do its business? I don't hate it. It's fine. I don't hate it. I tend to think of like um, dew or grass more yeah. than I think of.
1: Well, that's a lovely that's a lovely form of moisture. I suppose the people who hate <laughs> it may be thinking of bodily crevices. <laughs> I think, <laughs> and that's their prejudice showing. Yes, it is. Yeah, because other words as well, like damp. I mean, if you're moist from the rain, like a raincoat, damp sure. is that better? Is that worse? A bodily crevice could also be damp. Sure.
0: I feel like moist has a certain heat to it that damp oh, right, blacks. Sort
1: of ste- steaminess rather than yes. chilliness. It's good that we're, we're yeah. figuring these things out.
0: <laughs> Anyone who hates that word, hopefully yeah. you hate it more now. Christopher Enver wants to know how do you feel about people using emojis instead of words?
1: Which emoji are you? Well, grandma here knows <laughs> that she's outmoded and not. I don't <laughs> speak emoji, I don't use them. My mum sent me one the other day. That wow. was a shock. So she's so on board.
0: People don't even send them to you? Uh,
1: they do, but I don't necessarily interpret them in the way they're supposed to be interpreted because I don't understand how you're supposed to use them and how they affect what has been said. Because my assumption years ago was they're just reiterating what's in the words. But I don't think that is the case. They're influencing how the words are supposed to be interpreted. But that is the part that I don't know. So it's a bit of a problem, I think, that I, I don't speak emoji. Emoji do provide some of the tone and facial expressions that are otherwise hard to convey in writing compared to when you're speaking with someone. And thus, most days, I do find myself often using the grimace or the half-molten head. But what I don't like is that the visuals are controlled by someone else. So if you were handwriting, you couldn't, you probably wouldn't do your own (laughs) emoji. There's like hundreds of them and it would take a long time. So I find that a bit prescriptive by Unicode deciding what can be expressed. So we may only have 26 letters in the English language and some punctuation, but there's a lot of of combinations, mathematically.
0: Do you have any emojis that really irk you?
1: I think it would be unfair to pick on some when I don't understand, like what the nail varnish one means or the dancing one.
0: Helen, I got you. So does Emojipedia.com. So according to them, the nail polish emoji is often used to display an air of nonchalance or indifference. And the dancing emoji is used to represent a sense of fun, or as a positive affirmation, like saying "great." Also, the study of pictures representing thoughts is called curiology. And I do have an emoji expert lined up. Should I do it? Are y'all nail polish or
1: dancing about it?
0: In terms of speaking in GIFs, too, how do you feel mm. about that?
1: I uh, again, I don't fully understand, but I do enjoy I do enjoy that uh, that more. Um, it seems inventive. But I think it's also because there you often get a facial expression, a moving facial expression. That means more to me than a kind of cartoon facial expression or someone who's like uh, sticking their tongue out and there's a dollar bill on it. Uh, an emoji.
0: I don't, I don't know that one either. I'll... Well,
1: I, I painted a picture of you. <laughs> if I put a dollar bill on my tongue now, you'll understand what the emoji is doing. Dollar, dollar, bills, y'all. But actually, this brings up the point of GIF
0: versus GIF. Yeah, right. He...
1: And you pronounced it the way that the person who coined it Says exactly, it be, but I say gif because then people know what you're talking about. Well, which is, is it? I well, it's it's a, it's a recently made up word. I I think that if they wanted it to be pronounced gif, they probably should have gone with a J instead of a G. All right, I'm I, I know I'm rebelling against the originator, but I'm I'm on gif because it's less equivocal. Can't mix it up with the lemons. Oh
0: well, what do you think is going to win out over time? gif, 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 gif. GIF. All right. I am shocked that we're, yeah. that we say different things. I right. thought if it'd be like if someone says, your name is Helene. Yeah. Right. And then, but then again, if enough people call you Helene, your name is Helene. Right.
1: Yeah. You My know? mom tweaked the pronunciation of uh, the last name. So that's what it is. Right. That's what it is now. I don't even know what it was two generations ago because uh, it's immigrant names. They, they mutate. Do you know what it means? It's like salt, salt vendor. something like that probably oh yeah well salt was currency so yeah it's a useful condiment uh this dollar bill on my tongue emoji Ah. (laughs) that's
0: what that (laughs) means
1: if people started doing that in real life where they acted a lot more (laughs) like emoji and they carried the props around with them then maybe i could get on board all all you really need to know is
0: that if you get an eggplant
1: text right it's a lascivious yeah better be from your
0: husband oh Tyler Q says, first off, huge illusionist fan. Come Thank back you. to Melbourne. I promise we won't poison you again.
1: Uh, it's not your fault. It's okay. not your fault I got ill in Australia. It's my fault. Was it? It's not their fault. A lot of Australians were, were self-blaming. It's not their fault. Okay. And uh, also wonderful healthcare that's free for Brits. Appreciate it immensely.
0: Helen had been working really, really hard. She was exhausted. She had tonsillitis and she woke up with a swollen neck She had an infection in her neck, she needed surgery, and she was in intensive care on a breathing tube, being monitored to make sure her blood wasn't poisoned. Huh, trooper! She podcasted from her hospital bed, and she now has an awesome scar and a good story.
1: I mean, if you have to get stuck anywhere, may I recommend Tasmania? It's really beautiful, food's amazing, the people are very sweet, and there's some magnificent wildlife. Good to know, I'll schedule the surgery. Vineyards and cheeses? You don't have to have the surgery, you can just go. (laughs) but tyler q does apologize thank you tyler um it's not your fault
0: (laughs) he does ask uh why are a lot of science-based words like species names said in latin
1: yeah that's a a really good question partly uh, i think because it's kind of an international language so um scientists might not all speak uh, english or french or or german or whoever discovered uh, a thing but they might have all tapped into latin i think the other thing is that Latin still has a lot of status, even though um, the Roman Empire kind of collapsed 1,600-ish years ago. So people associate it with study, intelligence. It was propagated by religion, like by Christianity being uh, performed in Latin and by kind of high-level politics and, and stuff like that. That has helped propagate Latin for hundreds of years after the Roman Empire fell apart For more on that, please enjoy the classical archaeology episode on ancient Rome. Yeah, but it still has this reputation of things being classier and more intelligent. And that is a a really good con to pull. (laughs) It's a long con. It's a long con. And it's still happening. People are still coining new Latin words. There's a radio station in Finland I made an episode about um, that has done a news broadcast in Latin every week since 1989. Sad news in June 2019. They stop broadcasting the Latin news, and obviously words like airplane have no Latin equivalents. Yeah. So they have to make those up. And computer, um, but I interviewed a, a guy who coins words for that, and he was saying, "Well, it's no different really to how computer didn't exist in English, and then it had to be invented when people started having computers mm. or internet." Yeah, so actually, it's fine. Props to. Tiomo
0: Pekanen, a Finnish Latin professor. And for more on this, you can see the Illusionist episode number five, titled Latin Lives. Okay. Yeah, showed me. I mean, I remember learning Latin. We just learned so many words for kill. You could kill you? by bludgeoning. Yeah, there were so
1: many uh-huh. like, but of course it was useful. Yeah. I mean, in those times. Yeah. It's really indicative of what they were interested in. Yes. Yeah. We it's, didn't learn anything that interesting. How disappointing. Oh, it was a very, I just remember being like, this is quite gory. Yeah. Just another word for kill. Yeah. Just slightly different ways. So many inventive ways to right. destroy a person. Um, what do you hate the most about your job? Uh, I hate myself. <laughs> and having to spend this amount of time with my talking and my thoughts and how limited I feel uh, <laughs> in my mental capacity so there's that also sometimes it's quite lonely because you're on your own a lot uh producing stuff so that and um I hate the technological side but I have to do it but I do find it boring and often frustrating and often it's three in the morning and I just really need to get an episode out and something's going wrong and I don't understand why
0: do you work several weeks ahead or are you finishing ah. an
1: episode? Yeah, because I finish an episode an hour oh, before it goes Oh, gosh, away. yeah, like no minutes. Yeah. Oh, God, that makes me feel so much better. Oh, I think it's weird when people are way ahead. What if something changes? What yeah. if something comes up that you think, well, now's the time to do that? Right, okay, that makes me feel so much better. Yeah. I, I figured because you are so
0: successful that you just have them, like, lined up and they just come right off. No, the- I'm
1: just the most tragically uh, disorganized person. And it's got worse as well. Like, I was always bad at planning ahead. And now, since I got ill actually last year, I lost a lot of time that I would usually use at least banking some interviews to get ahead on the podcast. Mm -hmm. But also, I think what's happening in the back of my mind is, well, you could plan ahead, but you might get stuck in hospital in Tasmania and never go there. Mm." (laughs) (laughs) So you're using it as an excuse. I think subconsciously I am. That's fine. Yeah. Just to be absolutely terrible at forward planning. That's that's great. We all do that. It's ridiculous. I need to get my shit together. Yeah, this hasn't improved at all since... We recorded this in 2019. It's bad. <laughs> what, a, what is your favorite thing about
0: your job or about Word Origins? Oh,
1: oh, loads of stuff. Learning is great. That's a real privilege in a job. Uh, the people I've met through podcasting, that is delightful. And getting to spend time in listeners' brains. That's amazing. Yeah. Creepy, I've just made it sound creepy. Yeah, but... I guess. <laughs> 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 Goodbye, your internal monologue. <laughs> I'm here now. Do you have a favorite thing about Word Origins? Mm, do i do i favorite thing i like when someone has a rigid idea about how things should be and there's just so many examples in history of why they're not like that that's useful to me
0: disproving people
1: see if i can just um transform society through the medium of light entertainment (laughs) it's about words i would say that you already are and thank you for doing that no uh, you're, you're so welcome <laughs> thank
0: you for doing this thank you for sharing so many words with me it is so nice to be here thanks yay. for having me yay etymology yay, etymology and entomology and entomology yes <laughs> thanks for not being bugged by it hey. i know you hate puns i oh. <laughs> so helen zaltzman how much do you adore her the answer is a lot So keep asking smart people stupid questions, even if you have an internet crush on them and they are in your apartment politely having to stare up at a wall of dead cicadas. Now, for more of Helen's wit and word wisdom, go just immediately subscribe to The Illusionist. She is Helen Zaltzman on Twitter and Instagram and Illusionist Show on Twitter. More links are in the show notes. We are at Ologies on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Allie Ward with one L on both. And for pins and hats and totes and shirts, go to ologiesmerch.com. Thank you, Bonnie Dutch and Shannon Feltus for managing that. Thank you, Aaron Talbert and Hannah Lippo for adminning the wonderful Ologies Facebook group. Thank you, interns Harry Kim and Kayla Patton. Jarrett Sleeper of Mindjam Media for assistant editing and some research this week. And of course, Stephen Ray Morris of the Percast and Sea Jurassic, right? For stitching all these elements together. Now, at the end of each week, I tell you a secret, this week's secret. I've been going down a little bit of, of an Instagram hole, watching videos of bot fly removal. Oh boy, there's this fly, lays an egg in your skin and then there's like a worm the size of a baby carrot in there. And they just pull it out wriggling. And at first you just see the head and then this thing comes out. Oh boy. Rather pear-shaped, it gets bigger and bigger toward the end and then it just pops out. Oh man. That's enough for the secret. Bye-bye. Hackadermatology. Cryptozoology. lithology, Meteorology. I saved Latin.
1: What did you ever do?
0: So I have four nieces and nephews and I was talking to my sister about IXL and IXL learning is this fun online program for kids and it covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. My sister and my nephew love it. The way it works is it's powered by AI. So IXL gives the right help to each kid. And IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Maybe you've been looking into private tutoring, but it's out of the budget. Or this is a big school year for your kiddo. So make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And Ologies listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com slash Ologies. So visit IXL.com slash Ologies to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price.